Lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring, Jesus is coming again. Cheer up, you pilgrims, be joyful and sing, Jesus is coming again. This is the voice of prophecy, a voice crying in the wilderness of these modern days. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Coming again, coming again, Jesus is coming again. From our Voice of Prophecy studios in Los Angeles, California, we welcome you to this half hour of inspiration and music with the King's Heralds, Del Delker, Brad Braley, and the Voice of Prophecy speaker, H.M.S. Richards, a Seventh-day Adventist minister. We open this broadcast with a stirring hymn ascribing honor to the undying faith of our fathers. Faith of our fathers living still in spite of dungeon fire and sword. Oh, how our hearts beat high with joy Whene'er we hear that glorious word Faith of our Father's holy faith We will be true to Thee too, as love knows how, by kindly words and virtuous life, faith of our Father's holy faith, we will be true to Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of broadcasting Thy Word today. Bless every hearer. Around the world, we pray, Thou will send Thy blessed Spirit into the hearts of those who hear and bring peace and comfort from Thy Word. In Christ's name. There is a place of quiet rest the heart of God, a place where sin cannot molest, near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God.
Hold us who bow before thee. Near to the heart of God.
Here now is H.M.S. Richards, the voice of prophecy speaker. His subject, Chariots Out of the North. Not long ago, one of my best friends described an experience which came to him as a young man. During a severe attack of malaria, he became greatly depressed. He seemed to lose faith in everything and everybody. In spite of himself, he was drifting into infidelity, doubt, even atheism. Then he began to think about some of the simple, plain evidences of God, of the inspiration of the scriptures. He said that the direct fulfillment of Bible prophecies as he studied them had more effect than anything else in bringing him back to a sound, unshakable faith in the Word of God, in God himself, and in his providence. He remembered the words of the apostle in 2 Peter 1.19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. It was the actual historical fulfillment of Bible prophecies which proved to him that another statement by the same apostle was absolutely true. Words found in 2 Peter 1.21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. My friend mentioned three specific prophecies that had a powerful influence upon him in the rebuilding of his faith. These prophecies concerned the overthrow of the great seaport city of Tyre, the overthrow of Babylon, the first of the world empires of prophecy, and the overthrow of Jerusalem, the city of God's chosen people. Now the prophecy concerning Tyre is found in Ezekiel, the 26th chapter. Just remember, it was the great seaport city of the age, and to speak of it in those days was like speaking of London or New York today. This prophecy of Ezekiel was given about 586 years before Christ was born. In fact, the very year in which the city of Jerusalem was captured by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The people of Tyre expressed their joy at Jerusalem's downfall. They thought all the commerce now would come their way. And here's the astounding and startling prophecy, beginning with the third verse. Through his prophet, God said that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, would come with chariots out of the north, would destroy the walls of Tyre, break down her towers, scrape the dust from her, make her like the top of a rock, a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea, as verse 5 puts it. Now Tyre was a double city, really two cities, one on the mainland and the other half a mile out from shore on a 140-acre island. The prophecy continued that the walls of the city would shake at the sound of the wheels of the chariots, that dust would cover the city from the horse's hoofs. Here are the exact words in verse 12. They shall make a spoil of thy riches. They shall break down thy walls, destroy thy pleasant houses. They shall lay thy stones and thy timber and thy dust in the midst of the water. It shall be built no more, verse 14 says, and verse 20, it should not be inhabited again. This all took place literally and can be authenticated by a survey of the city right now in this very year. These chariots out of the north did come. Nebuchadnezzar did lay siege to the city for 13 years. Finally, he captured the city on the mainland and destroyed it. Then the people took refuge in their sea town and could not be dislodged. Later, they made a treaty with Nebuchadnezzar to become his subjects. 
Still the prophecy was not completely fulfilled. Two hundred years went by and Alexander the Great came and used his navy to finish the fulfillment of the prophecy. He could not bring his army against the walls, so he took all the ruins of the mainland city, actually scraping up not only the rocks but the dust itself, and built a causeway or mole out to the island city. Even then he had to use his navy to keep the fleet of Tyre from stopping his work. Today the location on the mainland is absolutely uninhabited. There's no sign that there ever was a city there. And out on the great rock in the midst of the sea there are only a few inhabitants of what was a mighty seaport city in the height of its glory when the prophet wrote. But why does the prophecy speak of Nebuchadnezzar's coming with chariots out of the north when Babylon is distinctly east of Tyre and Jerusalem? The reason is this. Between Jerusalem and Babylon lies the great Syrian desert, hundreds and hundreds of miles of blazing sand, impassable for armies in ancient times, difficult now. Those of us who have traversed it by plane know what an inhospitable and deadly region it is. In ancient times, armies from Babylon always marched northwest up the Euphrates River until near Antioch and then came down into Palestine and Egypt. So the invading armies from the east really came from the north. Nebuchadnezzar's mechanized divisions were eight squadrons of chariots, so he really came with chariots out of the north and scourged the nations of antiquity. Jerusalem fell. His people were carried into captivity to Babylon. The prophet Daniel was one of these captives. Turning to the second chapter of the book of Daniel, we have the story of the divine dream which came from God to this mighty pagan dictator. Read it for yourself. A great metallic image, head of gold, breast and arms of silver, sides of brass, legs of iron, feet part of iron and part of clay, or porcelain. In this prophetic dream, God rolls back the curtain of history, shows us the time when he will unite the nations, when chariots out of the north will cease to roll, and mighty air fleets will be used in the interests of progress and peace and not of war and destruction. That time is coming, and this Bible prophecy of Daniel, the second chapter, foretells the events which lead up to it. Daniel declared, Daniel the prophet, that the head of the world image represented Babylon itself, often called the Golden Kingdom. And that Golden Kingdom itself was to go down and be overthrown and become like Sodom and Gomorrah, never to be inhabited except by owls and wild beasts. This all came to pass. Those who visit Babylon today may see thousands of bricks dug out of the ruins, each one bearing the name and title of Nebuchadnezzar the king. In fact, not long ago, a brick was found on this, it was written, For the astonishment of men I have built this house. These portals for the astonishment of multitudes of people with beauty I adorned. Thus I completely made strong the defenses of Babylon. May it last forever. Words of the king Nebuchadnezzar. But Babylon is nothing but a ruin now. I know I've been there. You can see it for yourself. Then the next empire, Medo-Persia, represented by the breast and arms of silver, came on the scene of action about 539 before Christ. That was the night of Belshazzar's great feast, you remember, when the hand came out and wrote on the wall, Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So this world empire, the silver empire, ruled for 207 years until 331 B.C. at the Battle of Arbela, Alexander the Great destroyed it. Only seven years later, at the age of 32, he died in a drunken debauch. 
fell like a meteor through the sky of history. Then Grecia, the kingdom of brass or bronze, next came on the stage of action, but was soon gone and fell at the Battle of Pydna in 168. The fourth world kingdom was Rome, represented by the iron legs of the great image. The fourth kingdom, threatened to live for, last forever or live forever, extended to the Atlantic Ocean on the west, included what is now France, part of Germany, most of the British Isles. There's a big wall today built between Scotland and England, uh, built by the Emperor Hadrian to keep out the savage Scotsmen from the north. But this great empire with its mighty legions ruling the world when Jesus was born, with its paved stone roads leading out over the earth, still was not to last forever. Rome was divided. The Germanic tribes came out of the north and shattered the Roman Empire. Every time chariots have come out of the north, our civilization has been changed. And today we're facing a situation much like that at the time of the breakup of the Roman Empire. The ten main divisions of what had been this great iron monarchy, corresponding to the ten tolls of the image, have been given as the Alamanni, that's the Germans of today, the Franks or the French, the Burgundians, the Swiss, the Anglo-Saxons, the English, Suevi, the Portuguese, Visigoths, Spanish, Lombards, Italians, Herioli, Vandals, Ostrogoths. The last three were destroyed. Can these modern Roman fragments ever be reunited? It has been tried again and again, but always with failure. Charlemagne, the great French king, tried it, but he failed. Charles V, the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, tried it. Then Napoleon Bonaparte tried it, the greatest military genius the world's ever known. And he failed. The Battle of Waterloo on June 18, 1815, the sun went down on his career. Some think that the Kaiser of Germany made an attempt to unite all the nations of Western Europe against the powers of Asia. Later, Adolf Hitler claimed that he was doing the same. After World War I, the League of Nations tried to bring these nations together, but met with failure. And now, after World War II, the United Nations represents an earnest effort to make the different countries think and work together. But what says the prophecy? We read in Daniel 2.43, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay, says the prophet. And sure enough, every effort to unite Europe so far has failed. This great prophecy teaches us several things, that there is a God in heaven, that he foresees the future, that he has servants on earth, that God stands behind the shadows keeping watch above his own that in spite of the apparent confusion, the madness of human history, God's hand is in earthly affairs. We have mentioned here the fall of mighty powers and empires, of the great cities of Tyre and Jerusalem, the passing of the Babylonian and Medo-Persian empires, of Greece with its culture and energy, of Rome with its law and iron strength. We have seen the division of Rome into the nations of modern Europe, we have seen the unsuccessful attempts to unite them, as prophesied in Scripture. But there's one more step to this prophecy. We read it here in Daniel 2, verse 44. And in the days of these kings, or kingdoms, that is, the nations of modern Europe, 
shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. This we may see in our day. Martin Luther spoke about this great prophecy of chariots out of the north and the great changes that would come in the world. He said, I'm quoting, The first kingdom is the Assyrian or Babylonian kingdom, the second the Medo-Persian, the third the great kingdom of Alexander and the Greeks, and the fourth the Roman Empire. In this the whole world agrees, and history supports it fully in detail. But the prophet has the most to say about the Roman Empire, the legs, the feet, the toes. The Roman Empire will be divided. Spain, France, England, others emerge from it, some of them weak, others strong. And although it will be divided, there will still be some strength, as symbolized by the iron in it. This empire shall last until the end. No one will destroy it but Jesus himself when his kingdom comes. Those are the words of Martin Luther, the great reformer. The question that comes to us is, how may we have a part in the coming kingdom of Christ's glory? We know from the words of the apostle that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. We also know that naturally there is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3, 10. Why? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. Here's the secret. The kingdom of God must come into us before we can go into it. God's kingdom has two manifestations. First, the spiritual kingdom of grace, here now. Second, the literal kingdom of glory, still to come. This kingdom of grace is within us by God's power, Luke 17, 20. Through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, it brings righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost right here and now. Romans 14, 17. It is here today, it is ours, if we will accept it by faith. Colossians 1, 13. But the kingdom of glory is still future when Jesus shall sit upon the throne of his glory. Matthew 25, 31. And that's when he comes and all the holy angels with him. He shall sit upon the throne of his glory. How can we make the transition from our natural condition as children of wrath, to become the children of God. We must experience the new birth. We read it here in John 3, verse 3, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you desire it? Then ask God in prayer, in Jesus' name, that this experience may come to you, and it will come by the power of God. in thy kingdom Jesus Lord remember me thus the penitent thief entreated Christ the Lord on Calvary never in vain never in vain faith inspires this wonderful strain when thou comest in thy kingdom Jesus Lord remember me
rest in thy kingdom, sinful though my heart may be. Like the penitent thief, I pray thee, Jesus, Lord, remember me. Never in vain, never in vain, faith inspires this wonderful strain. When thou comest in thy kingdom, Jesus, Lord, remember me. This is Orville Iverson of the Voice of Prophecy with this word. When faith goes to market, it always takes a basket. Let us then look up and go forward in faith. Have faith in God, the nations in his hand. Have faith in God, ruled by his high command. Have faith in God, are but as grains of sand. Have faith, dear friend, in God. We hope this program of ours has served to give you spiritual strength for the coming week. And we invite you to join us again next week for another broadcast brought to you by the voice of prophecy. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace.